Welcome back, everybody, to The Luke Beasley Show. I hope you're doing wonderful on this Thursday. Let's dive in. I want to walk through a few different uh, clips, a couple interviews of Nikki Haley, and then also uh, her opening campaign event, something from that. And just kind of give you a sense, what are the last 24, 48 hours of the Nikki Haley presidential campaign launch looked like and uh, discuss very unexciting candidate, I will say, based on watching her entire opening campaign event. Just out of curiosity, I tuned into it and it was boring. Um, not someone who will have a chance of defeating Trump. And it's unfortunate that Trump is still as popular within the GOP base as he is. Such a dangerous individual, but it's the reality. Um, and a candidate as unexciting as this is definitely not going to shake things up. But I'm happy that she's in it, cause more kerfluffles, more messiness within uh, the Republican Party during this primary. Perfectly great for me to observe. And this first clip I'm going to show you from an interview she did with Sean Hannity is on the subject of, and Sean Hannity asking her about, what distinguishes you from Trump? What makes you different, better than Trump? Because he's your former boss and he's the other formally announced uh, candidates. And so why are you a better candidate? And she just completely avoids the question, as you'll see. Um, let's talk about, right now there's only one other announced candidate. A lot of names being floated out there. You got into this campaign. You know, if you had to delineate where, say, you and President Trump differ on issues, where would you start? Well, first, let's say in reference to Whoopi, um, you know, the thought of me getting into the race makes the liberals' heads explode. And so I welcome it because it shows we're doing something right. You know, when it comes to what we're looking at now, listen to the first 20 minutes of your show. Look at everything that's wrong in this country and tell me we don't need new leadership. But the difference is we need new generational leadership. We have to leave the status quo. We have to leave this chaos behind. And we've got to start talking about the future. You need a Washington outsider that's going to come in and it's, yes, I understand that families are having to pay more to make their grocery bill. I understand that they are worried about their children who may never get back from. So then she goes on longer. But the only thing I heard there um, was she's of a younger generation. OK, but specifically, where do you differ? Why are you um, on policy better? Which <laughs> I don't think Nikki Haley actually stands for a lot of policy genuinely. I think she just kind of fits into what she'll, um, what she sees as beneficial for political purposes and just the Republican party generally, Trump is this way too, does not talk about policy very often at all. And it's so much more about the culture war stuff and all these different policy free discussions. But then she goes on, goes on, doesn't answer the question. And then we'll skip forward in this interview to when Sean Hannity asks a follow-up question. Because anybody that is looking or seeking a nomination, it's, you're going to be comparing and contrasting your policy positions, your views, what direction you want to take the country with your competitors. Uh, right now, there's, there's former President Trump is the only other candidate uh, for the nomination. We expect many others, maybe even Mike Pompeo, who was on earlier in the program today. Where do you see, if you see, policy differences beyond what you mentioned, which are generational differences? What, what specific policy areas would you, would you say part with Donald Trump? 
What I am saying is I don't kick sideways. I'm kicking forward. Joe Biden is the president. He's the one I'm running against. And what I'm saying is you don't have to be 80 years old. So, but no, you would have to get the nomination from the Republican Party and then you would be able to run against um, Biden. So you do have to explain why you're better than um, Trump, which there are a million reasons Trump is horrible, um, but she's not going to go after those things because she's trying to play this. Everyone can like me within the Republican, uh, the Republican Party game to be president. We don't need to have these same people going back again. We need something new. We need a new generation of fighters. We need people that understand whether you're American, your average American is coming from, and we shouldn't be afraid to fight for that. And that's what I'm willing to do. I'm not going to kick sideways. I don't have time for that. That's not my focus. I'm kicking forward. It's that's all about kicking or not explaining why you're the best candidate and why the other candidates are not as good of a candidate as you are within the party that you're trying to get the nomination um, of is definitely important. So see how this strategy goes, I guess I would say. Then Sean Handy asks her about the part of her message that she's put out there that she is going to win the popular vote if she gets the nomination. Are you saying that the reason Republicans lost the popular vote, I mean, we have an electoral college vote system for the very reason uh, that big cities like New York and big cities in New Jersey and Chicago and Los Angeles and San Francisco uh, won't be deciding presidential elections. Um, are you saying that if you are the nominee, you believe you can win uh, the popular vote outright? I know I can. I know that you will see that we will get people that will come into our fold. Our goal is not, we are not about compromises. We are not about um, changing who we are. We're about fighting boldly for what we believe, but convincing our opponents to be with us. And Are you saying that? <laughs> she is really good at saying words without saying anything at all of substance. Um, so many just vague platitudes and political uh, talking points, but it's very unlikely she could win the popular vote. Trump, who is, as of now, much more popular within the GOP base, would not have a shot at winning the popular vote. Within our current political reality, the Democrat is very likely to do that, and then possibly the Republican candidate can win in the Electoral College. Last eight presidential elections, the GOP, uh, the Republican candidate, has won the popular vote once. Now, again, they've won through the Electoral College, but they won the popular vote once in the last eight presidential elections. And so I don't think Nikki Haley is going to be the person to break that trend. Then from her opening campaign speech. We'll have term limits for Congress. And mandatory mental competency tests for politicians over 75 years old. We'll have term. So if you were to have, I don't support that, but if you were to have such a test, you would have to just say everyone has to take the same test. But that is way too um, kind of hard to manage and regulate and decide on who gets to decide, decide which questions, who gets to decide how good you have to do on the test. And I think if someone's incompetent, we just shouldn't vote them in. Um, 
instead of, oh, we vote, but then if we find out on this test they're not competent enough, then they're ousted. I, I don't think that's a great idea at all. And then you get to Fox and Friends asking her, do you think Trump would pass this competency test? How would Donald Trump do on the competency test if uh, at, at 76 years old? You know, I think he did great the last time he did it. I have no reason to think he wouldn't do well this time, but I do think we need it. And it's across the board. I don't think it's for president. I think you look at Congress. Look at all the members of Congress. You have to start doing this for elected officials. When people send someone to Washington, they need to know they're at the top of their game. That's why I think those competency tests are important. How would Donald Trump do on the... So I guess what she's referring to, and you know where this is going... As far as him doing well on a past competency test is this moment as he so elegantly <laughs> explained um, while he was president. So they were saying all these different things. It was going all over. Whichever stuck, none of it stuck, fortunately. But one of the reasons it didn't is that I took a test. I said to the doctor, it was Dr. Ronnie Jackson, I said, is there some kind of a test, an acuity test? And he said there actually is, and he named it, whatever it might be. And it was 30 or 35 questions. The first questions are very easy. The last questions are much more difficult, uh, like a memory question. It's uh, like you'll go person, woman, man, camera, TV. So they say, could you repeat that? So I said, yeah. So it's person, woman, man, camera, TV. Okay, that's very good. If you get it in order, you get extra points. If you, okay, now he's asking you other questions, other questions, and then 10 minutes, 15, 20 minutes later, they say, remember the first question? Not the first, but the 10th question? Give us that again. Can you do that again? And you go, person, woman, mm. man, camera, TV. If you get it in order, you get extra points. They said nobody gets it in order. It's actually not that easy, but for me, it was easy. Okay. So, I mean, true that. Everyone should have to do that test before taking public office. It is wild. He was the president <laughs> of the United States of America. That's disturbing, but let's just move on forward with a light heart. Then she makes the bold claim that America is not a racist company, a uh, company, country. Joe and Kamala even say America's racist. Nothing could be further from the truth. The American people know better. My immigrant parents know better. And take it from me. The first minority female governor in history. America is not a racist country. The whole is America a racist country or not thing is so pointless. We have racism and we have systemic racism. Let's address those things. Those things are what we, uh, what we should be talking about. Whether the country as an entire entity should be labeled as this or that is completely a pointless conversation because, well, they won't recognize often that there is systemic racism, but those who do need to get to work on um, addressing those problems 
this whole i'm so brave for saying the country as a whole is not right it's just it's pointless but again if you don't have actual policy proposals and solutions to discuss and you have to come up with vague things like that to run on now you heard her in that clip say as the first female minority governor and uh, a child of immigrants talking about her identity well one of the things she said in this speech was side this is not about identity politics i don't believe in that and i don't believe in glass ceilings either i will simply hmm. so well inconsistent there because I'll just say, it's great to talk about your identity and talk about how the unique, uh, unique experience that comes along with being of different identity groups will inform your policy and political views. All that is perfectly fine, but Nikki Haley and the right will constantly say the left plays identity politics. In that same speech, though, she's talking a ton about her identity, doing the thing that would be called that um, by the right, and then turning around and saying, I don't play identity politics. Very um interesting and we'll see how her campaign progresses staying on the topic of nikki haley one of the things that i think very much distinguishes her in a negative way is how it's hard to even understand what she stands for and it doesn't seem to be the case that she stands for much of anything and just kind of decides to take positions that are beneficial at any given point in time well because of that, we need to look in other places to figure out who is Nikki Haley, what does she stand for? And she's given us a way to do that with someone that she had speak before she did at her opening um, campaign speech and said, this person is who I still say I want to grow up to be, and that is Pastor Hagee. Um, and we'll talk about Pastor Hagee, but first, here's this from her opening campaign so you can get a sense of how much she respects him. Before I start, I've got to give a shout out to the people who took the podium before me. Um, to Pastor Hagee, I still say I want to be you when I grow up. Thank you. So, okay. During her opening campaign speech, she makes very clear that she admires someone named Pastor Hagee. Well, Pastor Hagee has a long history of holding some very vile views. And again, I say, because Nikki Haley doesn't make clear what she stands for, who she is, constantly talking very vaguely about her and what she stands for, we have to look at people who she surrounds herself with and make clear that she supports um, and respects. And Hagee, Here's a little bit about him from U.S. News and World Report, and then we'll get to clips as well. Uh, he appeared to assert that Adolf Hitler was half Jewish and was sent by God to drive Jews to Israel. Hagee uh, suggested that it was Jews' disobedience of God that gave rise to their persecution. He also has suggested that Hitler's Catholic background contributed to his anti-Semitism and appeared to refer to the Roman Catholic Church as the apostate church and the great whore among other anti-Catholic remarks noted by Catholics, and it continues. He has also been criticized for anti-Islam remarks. And then here is an audio clip of him talking about what caused Hurricane Katrina. I believe that New Orleans had a level of sin that was offensive to God, and they are uh, were 
recipients of the judgment of God for that. The newspaper carried the story uh, in our local area that was not carried nationally that there was to be a homosexual parade there on the Monday that the uh, Katrina came. And uh, the promise of that parade was that it was going to reach a level of sexuality never demonstrated before in any of the other gay pride uh, parades. So I, I believe that the judgment of God is a very real thing. I know that there are people who uh, demure from that, but I believe that the Bible teaches that when you violate the law of God, that God brings punishment sometimes before the day of judgment. And I believe that the the Hurricane Katrina was in fact uh, the judgment of God against the city of New Orleans. Hurricane Katrina and all the devastation that that caused was because there was going to be a gay pride parade, essentially. The sin of that uh, town is what he is saying there. So vile. And again, that's who Nikki Haley wants to grow up to be, apparently. And then just getting a little wacky here, saying that rock music is satanic cyanide. When you read books about witchcraft, throw Harry Potter in that. The occult, horoscopes, Ouija boards. You're opening the gates of your mind to the prince of darkness, and he will invade. And once he gets invited in, he doesn't go out until he's cast out. I've had parents explain to me, well, I let my teenager listen to rock music because that's all he'll listen to. Let me tell you, so the lyrics to real rock music is nothing more than satanic cyanide. Get it out of your house, throw it out, and burn it. It has no place in the house of the righteous. And this is why I don't take seriously all of this new age satanic panic or the more recent satanic panic we've seen. Oh my gosh, Sam Smith had a devil hat thing during <laughs> a dance at the Grammys. Everything's going to hell. Ah, no pun intended there. It's just, we've seen it for so many years. It was rock music and it was the hippie stuff that was going to send America into forever doom. And it's just not accurate people express themselves and whether it be rock music or a dance that they find too edgy it's not going to end the world i can tell you and then i don't even have to just take a look the supreme court in washington has handed down its its decision in a 5-4 ruling supporting same-sex marriage but the Supreme Court in heaven has handed down its unanimous decision and a 3-0 ruling from God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit recorded in the book of Genesis chapter 2, 24, stating, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Marriage is exclusively between a man and a woman. Same-sex marriage will never be accepted in heaven as legitimate, so says God Almighty. This Supreme Court has made America the new Sodom and Gomorrah. God will have to judge America, or he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. So in case you're not familiar, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah 
two um, were two cities uh, as described in the Bible in the book of Genesis that got destroyed by sulfur and fire for being too sinful. So he's saying that should happen to the United States because gay marriage was legalized because God forbid two people who love each other get married in a country that has a secular government. Now, Nikki Haley has decided she's going to present herself in a way that gives us very little to understand who she is. So I'm going to make the decision to in part judge her based on who she publicly gives respect to, who she publicly associates with, and that is not making her look good at all. Well, video has come out of now Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley talking about mostly what we're going to look at is the Confederacy, the Confederate flag, in a 2010 interview. And she became governor in 2011, so this is likely kind of a campaign-type interview with a neo-Confederate group. And she's getting asked about the Confederate flag and a number of different things and has very incorrect, um, wrong answers. We'll start here with this. Hawaii and his loonies are trying to uh, export since what, 19, since 2000. I mean, I think I'm the perfect person to do the boycott because as a minority female, I'm going to go and talk to them and I'm going to go and let them know that every state has their traditions and every state has certain things that they hold as part of their heritage. But why would you want to celebrate that part of your heritage when putting a flag up you're celebrating in a sense or honoring in a sense whatever that flag represents and celebrating the confederacy is celebrating the movement um, the entity that was attempting to keep slavery and so often the response instantly is no it's about so much more than that southern history and southern heritage and um you know the Civil War wasn't just about slavery. It was about the economy. The economy, how though? What specifically was necessary to the economic reality they felt to the point where they would fight for the economy? Slavery, owning people in the most dehumanizing way um, imaginable, treating people. And so trying to make this uh oh it's about our southern pride and is just so disingenuous and so enraging and we can recognize and uh learn history without celebrating it very different things putting up a flag is celebrating is honoring that part of our past which is completely um uh, a wrong thing to do then she says yeah you know states have the right to secede do you believe the states of the united states have the right to secede from the union? i think that they do i mean the constitution says that if it became an issue where the south state of south carolina needed to secede from the union would you support it you know i'm one of those people that doesn't think it's going to get to that point let me tell you why while we are seeing all of this federal intrusion come into our states the way I will handle it is... I'm okay, so, yes, but she doesn't think that is necessary. Uh, the Constitution does not say that. And then more on the Confederate flag. ...on jobs and our economy and our education, 
you know, for those groups that come in and say they have issues with the Confederate flag, I will work to talk to them about it. I will work and talk to them about the heritage and how this is not something that is racist. This is something that is a tradition that people feel proud of and let them know that we want their business in this state. And so again, what is it about what the Confederate flag represents that you are proud of? And why is that so important that you also are then celebrating and honoring what the Confederacy stood for and what they did, which was fight to keep slavery in place. I just, I want a clear, concise answer um, on that. Then <laughs> she says, yeah, you know, we could have a Confederate History Month like we have a Black History Month. We just support a Confederate History Month in this country. Um, I mean, yes, it's part of the Why traditional, not? you know, it's part of tradition. And so when you look at that, if you have the same as you have Black History Month and you have Confederate History Month and all of those, as long as it's done where um, it is in a positive way and not in a negative way and it doesn't go to harm anyone mm. and it goes. So making it about history is so disingenuous. As I said, difference between recognizing and celebrating parts of history. Big difference. I really don't like when people act like they don't get that distinction because yes, we should learn about um, the Confederacy so that that doesn't happen in the future. Just like how we should learn about Hitler without putting up statues to Hitler. Like we should learn about Nazi Germany without having swastikas out in public. And not understanding that distinction is incredibly dishonest in my mind. Um, or just deeply, deeply illogical, and then saying, you know, Black History Month, Confederate History Month, that again is putting the Confederacy in the same box as celebratory things. Let's celebrate and honor the history of Black Americans. That's what Black History Month is about. Why would we do that same thing for Confederate history? Learn, don't celebrate. And uh, so many of these things that are fought for are in the category of um celebrate and then take a look at her take on what the civil war was about what's your belief about the reason the civil war was fought i mean again i think that as we look in government as we watch government you have different sides and i think that you see passions on different sides and i don't think anyone does anything out of hate I we'll continue with this clip but is she really trying to both sides the Civil War? You know, you have different views on different sides. You have the anti-slavery, the pro-slavery, just kind of two different sides of a coin. I think what they do is they do things out of tradition and out of beliefs of what they believe is right. Um, I think you had one side of the Civil War that was fighting for tradition, and I think you had another side of the Civil War that was fighting for change. You know, at the end of the day, what I think we need to remember is... Um, that, you know, everyone is supposed to have their rights, everyone's supposed to be free, everyone's supposed to have the same um, freedoms as anyone else. So, you know, I think it was tradition versus change is the way I see it. Tradition versus change on what? On individual rights and liberty of people. So she's right that everyone should have rights and um, their lives should be protected, but 
I don't know if summarizing the Civil War as a fight for change versus a fight for tradition is exactly um, the most accurate way to say it. And it's not this, you know, you have people just trying to fight for their tradition and it's it's one side and you got the other side. It's fighting for change. It's kind of two different situations going on there. Um, really, really wild. And then just to kind of wrap this up for no reason at all, she also bragged about not supporting seatbelt mandates. And anybody in the House or Senate can tell you I do not support mandates. You know, whether it's seatbelt, whether it's helmet, whether it's anything, I've never voted for it. I've actually fought against it. I even missed, how did I miss that? Also not helmets. I really, whenever people are proud of not being for certain regulations or um, certain policies like that, I really wish that after the fact, after we have figures when these things successfully do get through on how many people's lives were saved because of these policies, I wanna go back and say, Nikki Haley, I want you to stand by the fact that if the world had gone along with, or in this case, the country had gone along with your stance on this, X amount of people would have died. Is that something you're okay with? You wish that we lived in a world where that many more people died because helmets and seatbelts have saved so many people's lives. And it is a hundred percent true that since they became uh, mandatory, I know helmets have different laws, but um, seatbelts, since they became mandatory, the usage of them has increased a lot. And so saying, I'm proud of the fact that I did not support seatbelt mandates is saying you were okay with and are currently, if you still hold this view, okay with the idea of, for really no reason, it's not oppressive to be forced to wear a seatbelt when you're in a car, okay with so many more people dying. I really wish she would answer that question um, as well. But so many incorrect um, and pretty stunning views there and gives us some insight into who Nikki Haley is. Well, I want to talk a little bit about a couple recent revelations in regard to the Jack Smith-led federal investigation into Trump. And first, we'll take a look at the fact that Mark Meadows, um, Trump's former chief of staff, has been subpoenaed by Jack Smith exclusive this morning. We have now learned from a source telling me that Donald Trump's former chief of staff, Mark Meadows, has been subpoenaed in the special counsel's investigation into January 6th and the role that Trump played that day. I'm told that the special counsel, Jack Smith, is seeking both testimony and documents from Meadows. He got the subpoena back in January. This is the latest aggressive and significant move that we have seen from Smith. It matters because Meadows, as you know, has firsthand knowledge of Trump's actions on several fronts. He was in and out of the Oval Office that day. He was on that infamous phone call that happened in December between Trump and the Georgia Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, where Trump was pleading with him to find him more votes. Meadows was also in that Bananas December 2020 White House meeting about election fraud claims. He also visited a Georgia audit site as they were counting and recounting votes. He sent emails to Justice Department officials. So you get um, the point on that one, very intimately involved in the inner workings of the White House. Um, and he's now been subpoenaed. That's big for sure. Should get some more information. Um, in regard to what is being looked into here. 
And then again from CNN, Donald Trump's former chief of staff, Mark Meadows, has been subpoenaed by the special counsel investigating the former president and his role in the January 6, 2021 insurrection. A source familiar with the matter told CNN, special counsel Jack Smith's office is seeking documents and testimony related to January 6, and Meadows received the subpoena sometime in January, the source said. Um, an attorney for Meadows declined to comment, and so did the DOJ. And then it continues. But the other interesting thing that has happened recently in regard to the federal investigation into Trump and actually investigations, I should say, is in regard to Mike Pence, who has also been subpoenaed. Here from Politico, Pence confirms he will fight Justice Department subpoena. Former Vice President Mike Pence said on Wednesday that he was willing uh, to fight all the way to the Supreme Court a bid by special counsel Jack Smith to force him to testify about Donald Trump's effort to subvert the 2020 election. It's unconstitutional, Pence said during a press availability, uh, yeah, amid a trip to Iowa. So that bothers me a lot because go in there and testify. You act like you were horrified by what happened on January 6th, and then you're saying, but he shouldn't have my testimony. Do you want justice for the attempts to keep trump as president of the united states when he lost an election sir that's what we refer to as a coup and you're saying i will fight it all the way to the supreme court not having to go and testify and you have valuable information you were the center of the plan or at least one of the plans that the trump team team had to overturn the election results and you were going to say actually these are the real electors and actually Trump won, or at least this is too confusing and we don't know what to do and we'll throw this into a constitutional crisis. And then you're not participating in every way that you that you could to get that justice. It is so aggravating. And it shows you, Mike Pence, while he did the correct thing on January 6th, 100%, the high character move, and I respected that for sure, is having his low character shown in the way he responded after January 6th and not actually wanting justice for such a dangerous plan that was crafted and attempted. Luckily failed. Trump did get taken um, or left office, but January 6th occurred because of those lies and who knows what would have happened if they were more successful. Well, parts of the Georgia grand jury Final report into Trump's attempts to overturn the 2020 election in Georgia have been released, and we're getting some information on that. Not all of it, and we don't know yet if criminal charges are coming against Trump specifically. But one of the interesting things about this um, is as follows here from Yahoo News, a special grand jury that was investigating the efforts by Donald Trump and his allies to overturn the results of the 2020 election recommended that Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis seek indictments for potential perjury by some of the witnesses called to testify. So we'll get some more of this, but um, again, we're still waiting on specifically for the action of attempting to overturn the results in Georgia and interfering in the election process there. That is outstanding, but what is being recommended from the excerpts we've gotten from this to District Attorney Fannie Willis is that individuals who were a part of this, who testified, um, be charged with perjury for lying under oath during this process. Continuing, select portions, selected portions of what appeared to be a surprisingly brief nine-page grand jury report were released Thursday under an order issued this week by 
Um, the judge, the much-anticipated release, provided few new details about what the special grand jury uncovered. The bulk of the report, including the identity of the witnesses suspected of perjuring themselves, remains under wraps while Willis continues her own investigation and decides whether to seek criminal charges against one or more of her targets, including the former president. And we'll get to here looking at the actual report itself, and I'll highlight one of the interesting aspects in addition to the recommendations of um, prosecution on perjury, the grand jury heard extensive testimony on the subject of alleged election fraud from poll workers, investigators, technical experts, and state of Georgia employees and officials, as well as from persons still claiming that such fraud took place. We find by a unanimous vote that no widespread fraud took place in the Georgia 2020 presidential election that could result in overturning that election. So two big takeaways individuals according to um, this report perjured themselves and should be prosecuted for it um, and then also one of the things trump always says about the january 6th select committee is they didn't look into all the widespread fraud and they should have focused on how the election was stolen and they addressed of course the reason why that was not the focus of the january 6th select committee instead his attempts to stay in power is because those claims were baseless and they had people come during the hearing and make that uh, quite clear. But here they went through and looked into that. And their takeaway is there wasn't widespread voter fraud as we've known for a long time now, but we're going to explicitly put that in this report as well, which I think matters. So a lot of stuff heating up for Trump and we are just around the corner. If criminal charges are indeed coming out of Georgia from those, um, becoming known that that will be taking place from District Attorney Fannie Willis, and we will be covering it all. President Joe Biden, um, gosh, what's the word? I guess if I put this into a YouTube title form, I would say destroyed, wrecked, demolished Senator Rick Scott um, over the issue of Medicare now being able to negotiate drug prices because of the Inflation Reduction Act. And I'm going to walk you through his statements on this, starting off not directed at Rick Scott, and then we'll get to the Rick Scott angle. But it highlights such a crucially important part of the Inflation Reduction Act and the dishonesty of people like Rick Scott and the fact that people like Rick Scott stood against the Inflation Reduction Act that is doing something as he um, outlines here. Ben and I have a lot that's been fighting for years, fighting for years to allow Medicare the power to negotiate how much they'll pay for the drugs they need to buy for Medicare. We've been working like hell. We finally beat pharma. <laughs> ben and I have a lot that's been fighting for years. Fight I think the fight continues. Hopefully that's what he means. But this was a win over big pharma for sure. And then specifically directed towards Senator Rick Scott. You saw when I said that on the floor, maybe if you saw it, you saw when I said that on the floor, I said, no, no, liar, liar. I said, that means you're not going to cut Medicare or Social Security? And they all stood up and started to clap. I said, well, we got to settle then. <laughs> Remember? No, seriously. Well, it's all on film. Let's see who votes to, 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 to cut it. Look, and here's Rick Scott's response to this. He says that because I'm cutting, he said, I'm cutting prescription drug costs. That means I'm cutting Medicare. 
Where has he been? I think he's a little confused. So Rick Scott is confused indeed. And before I go through once again why Rick Scott on the issue of Medicare uh, negotiating prescription drug costs and Rick Scott using that to say that actually it's the Democrats who are cutting Medicare. Let me give you an example of him telling this lie. By the way, the Democrats just cut $280 billion out of Medicare uh, back in September. All right, and every Democrat voted for it. Joe Biden signed it. So, you know, this is, this is just political gotcha up here. But look, I am going to focus on help representing my state. Uh, there's a lot of Medicare recipients, Social Security recipients, and I'm going to do everything I can to preserve those programs. Well, that- mm. I mean, when I, <laughs> when I come across Rick Scott, first word that comes to mind is likable. That is a likable guy right there. So what is he talking about? The figure that he's referring to, 200 some odd billion dollars, is the projected amount that will be saved, that will be saved because Medicare is going to negotiate drug prices. So Big Pharma won't be able to negotiate, uh, won't be able to price gouge us as much as they have been. They still will price gouge us, but not as much because of this part of the Inflation Reduction Act. And Rick Scott is saying, because we're not going to have to spend as much money as a government and thus as taxpayers, that's actually the Democrats cutting Medicare, which when you say cutting Medicare, no one thinks, oh, you mean like cutting the expenses in a way that won't decrease benefits, but will save us money. No, it brings the image to mind of cutting the benefits, right? That's not what's happening. That is so dishonest. So he's, with the tone of voice that he's putting forward, making clear what he's referring to is something he's against. So be, and in his, you know, voting record as well. So make clear to the American people, you prefer they pay 200 XYZ billion dollars more, at least Medicare recipients for no reason, just because you don't want Medicare to be, uh, be able to negotiate drug prices and instead want that money to go in the pockets of big pharma and their profits. Say that explicitly. No, instead it has to be, actually it's the Democrats cutting Medicare and I'm not the bad guy for proposing the plan that explicitly says um, all federal programs should sunset every five years, which would put into jeopardy Medicare and Social Security. It's actually the Democrats who are bad for saving all of us money without cutting benefits. Truly despicable i tell you (laughs) let me get the camera there we go end of segment you guys have to see this um interview we're going through all the interviews i did with trump supporters at the south carolina trump event um ben and i traveled to as bunkers as ever absolutely Um, yeah and the individual I'm about to show you, you've seen one clip from him in a past segment. This one is so wild. He believes that January 6th was actually an inside job, meaning it was actually the Democrats who coordinated Antifa and the FBI and whoever else, BLM, CIA, I don't know, all these different entities to attack the Capitol, but make it look like Trump supporters because... And yes, podcast listeners are purposely being silent. Um, I don't know why. (laughs) I don't know. And take a look at this, and then we will discuss. So you brought up uh, January 6th uh, within the context of Nancy Pelosi, her son. 
What do you think? Because I've heard a number of different takes on this. If not the official narrative that we all saw, meaning Trump supporters angry about the statements Trump was making attacking the Capitol, what do you think happened? What was Nancy Pelosi well, coordinating or something? Well, I've definitely investigated the situation. I was there. There were buses that came in, and all one has to do is take pictures of those tags on those buses, go to those bus companies, and track who paid for them. You were there where? At Jank 6. Yeah. In the Capitol? I was not on the lawn. The day before when Enrique, um, a member of the Proud Boys, was busted in the airport with plastic magazines that they retailed to try to make money for their cause, I knew that the mayor and something was going on. So, Take a quick pause. The FBI hasn't knocked on my door yet, but I was smart enough to turn around and get back. Uh, Antifa was paid. FBI was involved in instigating and breaking windows. And we will find that out soon as well. I do believe the FBI and Nancy Pelosi and the Capitol Police set that up. Wait, wait, wait. Let's walk back. I got to get clear on this. So you're saying the violence that occurred, that definitely happened. You agree? Well, that definitely happened, but I'm not that's telling crimes, you that's right? MAGA. That wasn't MAGA. That so was, the assaulting of police was, officers that was... That was FBI agents. That was paid Antifa. Maybe some BLM mixed in. But these are paid thugs that have been paid by George Soros. The FBI was attacking the Capitol Police? Yeah, it was a setup. So what I just cannot get my head around there is all of it but what's particularly wild about those types of theories is i get that not everyone bases their views on evidence and things that can be proven and um all that of course but even if i were to go into conspiracy world and say i'm just going to craft a story that feels better within my head, right? Okay, there's not evidence that Nancy Pelosi coordinated with the FBI and all that, but I don't want to believe that MAGA, the movement I'm a part of, stormed the Capitol, tried to prevent the lawful election process, all based on lies, so I'm going to come up with a different story. Why come up with a story that, even if it were true, just would not make any sense? Even if you had evidence, that would be such an odd and... um implausible series of events because and by the way we have one more clip i want to show uh to round this out but quickly this um why would nancy pelosi coordinate with the fbi to attack the capitol police to attack nancy pelosi who had her life threatened all for what and before i speculate about some of the reasons as to why that might be you remember this moment when I asked that same question to someone else um, who believed January 6th was Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats doing? Um, if their goal was to get Trump out of office and the certification was what was going on during January 6th, meaning they were doing the process to get Trump out of office, right? Certifying Biden's win, mm -hmm. then causing January 6th would be the opposite of what they would want because it interfered with the certification, right? I, I didn't get that last part. The actions of January 6th actually interfered with the certification. So doesn't it kind of not make sense that the Democrats would have instigated January 6th if that got in the way of the certification, which they wanted, because that was going to cause Biden to become president? I just believe that uh, 
<laughs> I don't know. Mm. So in his case, there wasn't even a reason, which how on this green earth, this blue and green earth we live, would you hold a view so strong and so notable, like it was actually not what our, our eyes saw, but instead Nancy Pelosi coordinating with the FBI, BLM, Antifa to do all of this, and then even separate from having evidence, you don't even have a why for it. What? That's crazy. So, um, from some people, I'll get, oh, it was to make Trump supporters look bad. What would be the end game there? We do what would have been one of the largest conspiracies and the most well-pulled-off uh, events in political history, making it look like a bunch of Trump supporters who had a history of being Trump supporters, doing violent acts, following lies that Trump had been telling this entire time. Somehow it coincidentally worked out where Trump said a bunch of things that seemed to indicate this would be a good idea, but it was still all coordinated uh, by the left. And they would risk getting caught for that just to make Trump supporters look bad, which <laughs> they're doing fine on their own. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So I don't know, Ben, you got any, you got anything? You got any answers? No, I'm always just thrown for a loop after every single one of these interviews. I know. And we were there and still I have no <laughs> earthly idea what's happening. Well, um, that's that we have more to get to which we will later on. Thank you all so much for watching and listening to today's show. We will see you tomorrow.